0: you're listening to the theater student podcast with emmy d'amico Featuring myself, Emmy D'Amico. Our special guest this week is Henry Heidinger. So, Henry, tell us about yourself.
1: Uh, Well, as you said, my name is Henry Heidinger. I am a junior voice uh, performance major at High Point University, and I um, have been doing theater for the last eight years or so. Yeah, it's kind of been my passion, for sure, for this last later portion of my life.
0: The later portion of your 20 years on Earth.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, the last decade or so.
0: You're a fine wine.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: um, So tell me, like, let's talk about this year starting. It's COVID, it's weird, so obviously all the restrictions and stuff are weird, but are you taking theater and music classes now, and how are they doing in COVID?
1: Yeah, so um, that's been one of the most interesting things about going into a new year with this these kind of parameters on on how everything can work, especially with the performing arts, you know, we're considered a super spreader to be singing or to be acting on stage or something to be projecting as we do as actors or singers. Um, And therefore we have more restrictions than anyone else. Uh, So it's been kind of an explosion of of innovation to see what can we do to keep the arts active and keep the arts alive. So yes, I still have my my voice classes and my music classes and my um, theater opportunities. They're all still there, but there are... um, socially distanced and masked and a lot of things are done outdoors in order to keep people at proper distances and separated and we're finding new ways to put on showcases and put on recitals in a way that everyone can participate but we keep people as safe as possible often uh virtually
0: yeah yeah i mean they keep saying restriction breeds innovation these are a lot of restrictions but right (laughs) right but it's good and good i'm really glad we're back i'm glad we can be in a rehearsal room
1: in people. an environment where we're back around our peers where we have that encouragement from one another uh in a similar location because i think that's what that's what keeps us going that's what sets everything off in our head you know yes even you and yes, i yes <laughs> in the same room being put in the same room creates new ideas in my head and fireworks going off that otherwise oftentimes will not be there yes oh
0: i love so. a I love a person-to-person firework and just talking through stuff and coming yes. up with ideas together. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I Absolutely. distinctly
0: remember one time we went to Starbucks after a Shakespeare rehearsal and we were talking like this, like the whole time. The entire
1: time, yes, the entire it, was, time. it was beautiful. You have these moments with people as you go through all your life that when you can share on a common, a common thread, you all of a sudden have all these, especially when you put together two uh, theater nuts as ourselves and you get some very fun results. But that's what makes life so interesting, right? That's when you get um, the most entertaining conversations, the (laughs) most raw self of people, you know, like I am more vulnerable around you. You see all of my quirky personality traits that other people may not necessarily see.
0: Well, I'm honored because you have such a cool personality and I love hanging out with you. It just makes me happy. So that was our personal segment. (laughs) Now that you've heard a little bit about the friendship of Henry and I, uh, let's talk a little bit about this week's reading. So Henry and I both read the Laramie project this week uh, in preparation to just discuss and here's a little rehash. If you didn't catch on last week's episode, these are not play reviews. Uh, We're going through the actor aesthetics list of the top 40 plus plays that every theater student or uh, person who studies theater should read. And they're in the order of firstly, what was available at our library. <laughs> and secondly, uh, what we found most interesting. So we're putting on Laramie project 10 years later in a socially distanced kind of new way this year at our school. And uh, it really spoke to something in me to reread that first play. And I really thought Henry would appreciate it too. Cause it's, it's definitely a play that hurts your heart hits home. So we're not here to judge these plays and say whether or not they should be on the list. They're all very good plays. We're just discussing them and having an artistic conversation, something that's kind of been missing in COVID and uh, just sharing our love of theater. So Henry, what, what are your first initial thoughts? What really stuck out to you when you read the Laramie Project?
1: Well, first of all, it is set up very, very um, uniquely the way it goes back and forth between character to character speaking when you first start reading it's kind of hard to follow you're like wait a minute who's talking when and why you know it, it kind of jumps around from from story to story from individual to individual and it isn't until a little bit later that this picture starts to weave itself together so especially at the very beginning it almost gave me this idea of an old-fashioned radio show like oh. it feels like you could see everybody sitting and then for a moment the light would come up and they'd start speaking and then the person next to them would start talking. It's like, for whatever reason, they didn't connect to each other quite yet. But as the story progressed, everyone's little tidbit started to make a picture. And then that picture began to weave into a story. And that was really interesting about it because I hadn't read anything that that started out quite the same way and still made an interesting story by the end. It was it was very intriguing. It just, it just from the writing aspect of how it was put together.
0: Yeah, I love your your use of... vintage radio show to think about that as people that are all standing at separate mics basically are doing a choral version of a broadway musical where they they come in and go here's the plot that happened and then they sing the song right 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 right. they tell you some more plot (laughs) um but that yes it has a cohesion to it even though it's so disjointed and i mean reading it the first time i read it many years ago and i was so overwhelmed just by the sheer like there's 40 characters or something crazy and it's and it's feels, not that long it's not that know? long and it feels so disjointed I was like oh they need 40 act. clearly they don't <laughs> need 40 actors you can double cast a lot of these roles and I'd be interested to see how different companies cast these differently uh, and what playing two opposing characters does to a person if you're playing Aaron McKinney mckinley one of the uh the men who assaulted matthew shepherd and then you also play his best friend like what does that do to your rehearsal process
1: right right um that's a very interesting thought that i hadn't had playing two completely opposing thoughts um thought processes in in this story you know to be um matthew shepherd's father even. And then Aaron McKinley. Yeah. To say, well, I murdered him because he's, you know, as I said, they keep saying, you know, he, he's, he's gay, he, the fag, you know, whatever, have that hatred language, have that hatred inside of you, that, that, that side of it that says, you know, just because of who he was, because of who he liked was so strongly against me that, you know, you know, don't ask, don't tell kind of idea that if I even know that, like, like I won't tell you I'm gay, and you won't beat the shit out of me was kind of the whole was the premise of yeah. the book. It was even one of the lines. And then to go to this <laughs> That's is my not son. live and
0: let live like they say. That's right. Definitely that is, not. That's don't tell no. me, and then I won't know, so I can't beat you up.
1: That's right, not right. And <laughs> right, I I agree. And then to go and play a father of the person who was murdered, just complete polar opposites. Absolutely. Um, I wonder if they would've even been cast that way.
0: I, I wonder too but, about the, that mentality. You were talking about um, the don't ask, don't tell. If a person, they keep saying, they mention over and over again, that people are like, oh, I'm fine with them being here so long as they don't hit on me. Like how do they expect people, gay people get hit on, gay men get hit on by straight women all the time and vice versa? Like
1: how do well, they expect the people thought, to live like, lives?
0: How do you live and let live yeah, right. if you
1: can't find a partner? Right. Well, then here's the other thing. Their idea is so deeply rooted in that it is wrong, right? Especially <laughs> yeah. that 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 strong um, religious direction um, that, that they believe so strongly that it is wrong and that, that has been what they have believed for so long, so many generations, that, you know, I, I thought of a counter argument. I said, okay, well, what if, some woman walks up to you and starts flirting with you. But well, you're married. Well do you beat the shit out of her?
0: That's a very pardon, good point.
1: Pardon, pardon my French, but you know, do you do you beat her up just because she's making a move on you and that's not what you need? You know what I guarantee you you flirt back. Yeah. Well. guarantee you you flirt <laughs> back. Well so then so then what happens is just because it's gay and you're not comfortable with that. It's a personal, it's not even just a personal offense. It is, it's an attack on you.
0: And your it masculinity. It isn't just that this person
1: is being, right?
0: Because right. you, something you about you has indicated that you might not be entirely heterosexual.
1: Right. Someone different. else walking up to you makes you, I mean, and the only way you can defend your honor is to call him a fag and beat the crap out of them. Now it's you're putting on a like, southern
0: accent even though this, this play does not take place in the south. You're right,
1: it does take them uh consider <laughs> it a I'm from the south and it is there is there is a presence of that down south as well. I mean actually, to be very honest, there's, there's a presence of that everywhere.
0: Yeah. Um
1: everywhere you go there is that. Um
0: I've noticed a but, lot um in the black lives matter movement like watching more um, pieces and things that are about racism and Racism and homophobia, I mean, just discrimination based on what, how you're born kind of goes hand in hand. But a lot of times when people are playing those absolutely awful characters, they can't bring themselves to speak in their own voice. They always put on this, oh, well, boy, like this thick, thick Southern accent.
1: Well, I mean, to be very perfectly honest, I've thought about it before. I've thought about if I'm asked to play this role that de- displays a massive alo- amount of hatred towards one group or another, I know how uncomfortable it would make me. I know how even though I know I'm just acting I would not want to be saying or behaving in certain ways that that really would that would show that kind of hatred towards a group of people or even one individual and I think that the accent that the voice of the character being developed as fast as possible and as different from you as possible makes it feel safer to be that way without it reflecting on you because you don't you don't want to be that kind of person you don't you know you don't want to have to pretend like you're the one saying those things
0: absolutely so it's, you it's separate a your,
1: you separate yourself from it
0: and arguably exactly. I think it, it kind of makes the acting worse because you're you're less genuine you're becoming this cartoon of a racist but it's personally safer. It'd be be a really emotionally tough thing to play some of the characters in this, but I really love, they bring up the point, what has the environment that these boys have been raised in done to them to think that this is acceptable, to think that this is okay, to lead them to, they have to be so much better than someone that they have to literally pummel someone to be below them and pound them
1: into the ground. right? And you remember their girlfriends in the Laramie project, their girlfriends are talking about everything going on. They're like, yeah, well, you honestly, if I could just see him right now, I'd just smoke a bowl with him.
0: You know, I'd whatever.
1: He probably really wants to. He's having a rough time. They say that he's having a
0: rough time. He hasn't smoked in a
1: while. Yeah. Well, then then it ends with he, he, the interviewer asks them, well, did you guys go to the high school here? Did you guys go here? And they said, um, of course, can't you tell we're products of our environment? Yeah, yeah. Because, vi- because you know, they said that themselves. It was just such an interesting, interesting thing to say to me. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to read part of this. That was super fascinating. Oh, yeah, of to course. Me. Um, Cite
0: that textual evidence.
1: And yeah, so this is Sergeant Heng at the beginning of the book, or of the beginning of the show, and he was asked about a little bit about the story. And the boy and so he starts talking about the boy but notice how he dodges actually talking about the issue he's only talking about the area in which they live so he goes it's a good place to live good people lots of space now when the incident happened with that boy a lot of press came here and one time some of them followed me out to the crime scene and uh well it was a beautiful day absolutely gorgeous day real clear and crisp and the sky was was that blue that uh you know You'll never be able to paint. It's just sky blue. It's just gorgeous. And the mountains in the background, and it's little snow on them. And this reporter, a lady person that was out there said, well, who found the boy? Who was out here anyway? And I said, well, this is a really popular area for people to run. And mountain biking is big out here, horseback riding, and it's close to town. And I'm thinking, lady, you're just missing the point. It's too beautiful out here. And it's, it's this idea of that, like, oh, well, like, it's it's like he's beating around the whole subject, like the reporters out here to talk about, to talk about Matthew, to talk about what's going on. And he's like, he's like, you just don't get it. I mean, people are out, like, like, him being murdered out here is like, well, look how beautiful it is.
0: Yeah, they even say, you know, uh, I, I think it's his father says at the end, um, well, he wasn't alone when he died. At least he had the mountains and the sky with him. When he was out there that night, I am certain that's not what he was thinking about. It's insane that they're still so defensive, even though someone—what does it take? That they, we keep asking that. What does it take? Someone was murdered in the most brutal way possible by people who have just moral, moral like reprehensibility. And there's nothing. It's still and then the, and
1: the, and they had the audacity to. Yeah, that they had the audacity to say, "Well, he hit on them." Yeah, they just made so, it up. So I, so I like, so I in one line said he hit on. them. So I think I like to think it's you know it's a little bit of both of their fault.
0: Yeah, fifty-fifty. Excuse me.
1: Except, and that was, except, wasn't that know, another girl, gay person? If a girl, hit, if friends? a guy hits, if a guy hit, hits on a girl or a girl oh. hits on a guy, you know, you see this women end up murdering their rapist, and they go to prison for it. Right, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But, but you have these situations where a man or a woman hits on another, and if they just like murdered him out of cold blood, it would be horrible. You wouldn't understand. It's like, what do you mean? Why are you up? there? you felt threatened. They were just flirting with you. They hit on you. They didn't, you know. So what? They caressed your arm a little bit, or they, you know, maybe they they you know made a little bit of a verbal advance they said "Oh, well you're really cute you know they're kind of getting flirty you know but when it becomes a gay couple a gay person doing it to you then it's excuse for it's excuse for you to do whatever you want to them
0: absolutely it's i mean it's awful and it's that's the that's the culture that they cultivated they right, cultivated right. oh well you don't hit on those types of people you're just restricting right. who they can love if, Henry, if you started wearing a cowboy hat and spurs every day, would you then be an entirely different person that people should avoid? Say, oh, only purple people can hit on Henry. He's wearing cowboy boots. That's, right, that's exactly.
1: ridiculous. Right. And, and I kind of worded what I said previously kind of poorly, but the idea that it's a standard that if, if a woman walks up and we're to start hitting on one of the same men, even if they were married, It wouldn't be an issue. They'd just be like, whatever, like I'm married, or they'd indulge it, you know, even. But
0: that pick and choosing of the Bible.
1: Right. Or not even that, just the the double standards of of what you, you know, a lot of people, it's it's not even, they use the Bible to defend their homophobia that's already there. Um, It makes them uncomfortable, so they protect it with what they believe.
0: Yeah, even if Um, they believed that both were wholeheartedly true, they're still going to enforce one a lot more than the other. Right, and it's it's interesting that they give everyone in this play their day in court. If you really did this in a truly hateful place, there's a way that you could stage this and direct it and favor the people who did the horrible thing and say, "Look, it it, um, It is written
1: very in a way that, that, that highlights both beliefs very strongly."
0: And it doesn't go, oh, you go and you give your your testimony and, oh, here, they're well aware that it's going to be used in a play. And a lot of the characters keep saying, oh, when you write your play about this, then I hope you come away with the correct idea of our town, with the correct perspective here. But there's no retrospective like Moises Kaufman coming in at the end and saying, and here is where they were wrong. And I point out this, this, and this, or look at this in the bigotry. Right? you, you no.
1: just
0: leave it up to the actors and that's the part of it right. that's theater. That's another question I wanted to ask you about this is, is it is it truly theatrical or is it just a staged set of interviews? Does it count as, as theater as a play or is it a historical text?
1: Well, well here's the thing. Um, there are a couple passages and I wish I wish I had one up right here to, to try reading. But An actor can, you're watching, can make a facial expression or shrug a certain way when they they say a certain line in one of these interviews, that completely changes the way that the audience is going to interpret how they feel about it. Absolutely. You know, if I just say, well, you know, well, you know, I mean, he was he was just tied up uh, there at at the post, and there was like blood everywhere and stuff, but. But um, you know, it it was it was you know it was a big deal. Or I say, well, you know, he was there and he was he was tied up and stuff, and there was blood everywhere. It was it was a big deal. You you have these two slightly different things. One of them is concerned. One of them is shocked. The other one's like, ah, you know, it was one of those gay kids. Like whatever, whatever happens to them happens to them. and so you can make it make someone depending on what they say how you respond to how you portray what their words are completely different a different story
0: yeah so i think that makes it very
1: much very much an artistic and acting piece to be developed to be to find out you know you have this group of of actors and actresses and you say what do we want to say
0: And it's a very accessible piece too it's a message that that a lot of towns need. I mean, we're saying it in a Southern accent because we live in the South right now. We see it in our own community. And Mm -hmm. like the friends of mine were just walking between the theaters, holding flowers to give to a woman coincidentally, though that matters not. And people haunted them and shouted the F slur on our own campus. It happens, happens in the South. It happens everywhere.
1: And a lot of it is just you know, this, this lack of understanding. And, you know, I am personally religious. Do I believe that homosexuality is wrong? I don't. Um, but even if you do, you know, I don't, I don't personally think that's the world's biggest problem. If you don't believe that it's like morally okay, fine, good for you. Yeah. But the moment you stop loving people, despite your disagreements, the moment you go against someone for being homosexual, because of your beliefs, and you make them less than, like any, if you believe it's a sin that anything you have ever done is somehow not as bad as what they have done, or that you put them down, or that you treat them poorly, or that you look at them any different than with the love of God, then I think that is a sin of your own. I think that as a person, you know, that is, that is something that I think is wrong. And,
0: And you know, because everyone, you do take that interpretation of the Bible, and you have that that view of it, there are a thousand and twelve halfway homes for people rehabilitating themselves from drugs and alcohol, for people who have committed sins on an, I guess sins don't have a calculated equal, like this equals this sin, but there's, there are tons of forgiveness happening in the world, and tons of not treating people differently because of their pasts, why is this issue of love so different
1: and you wonder where does that come in you know and and the bible is such a proponent of love which i think is the most interesting thing is that you know it says that god is a god of love you know above all else remember to love the greatest commandments god gives us love your neighbor as yourself and love me love people end of story
0: absolutely put, put,
1: put the love little, people put the little on the box yep and there that's, you go
0: that's why I cried at least when, whatever, even when yeah. I just read the words at the end of the Laramie project with the, right. the parade the homecoming parade and then the mm-hmm. tagline at the end for Matthew Shepard just envisioning that in your mind is theatrical and it brings me to tears
1: yeah and it's it's this idea that like You know, as the Bible says, God says, do unto the least of these as you do unto me. Basically, when you feed the poor, when you do these things for people, when you help someone in need, you're doing that to me. You're doing that to me. I'm watching that. I am in that person. You know, I am in humanity. I am there in that person. You're doing it to me as well. And it's this idea that how could you treat somebody, particularly Christians, but anybody, really, how could you treat somebody so poorly for something that is different than your reality
0: has your mind without ever been changed by someone who was right, mean
1: without, to you without, without without at least trying to understand them
0: that too what, they say what if it's not if, wrong well i
1: knew i knew pl- i knew plenty of gay people and you know i could just see it ruin their lives have you heard that story about how many of them regret after they get a certain age they regret being gay and it's like uh mm-hmm. You mean 1, like 0.01% of all gay people? You hear that or trans a lot people? about
0: trans people you know, too. Yeah, yeah. Trans like, people. oh, people who transition, everyone regrets it and the suicide rates are the same. Oh, maybe because um, black trans women are statistically the most murdered people in right. America. And I, maybe there's I some have, problems with when you come right, out with this and how people treat right, you.
1: Right, and I have, you know, I one of my friends was talking about their um was talking about his mother, um, and how she would say to him, was like, Well, you know, I, I you know, I had friends, I knew people who were lesbians, like 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 there's always a boy and a girl in relationships. So and he was she was saying to him, Well do you feel like a boy or a girl? And he was like, Neither. Like what do you mean there isn't no, like I'm the boy. We're both we're both gonna be men. And she's like, okay, well there's always there always is you might just be an exception. And he was like, No, that's not how this works idea. Right, right, and she goes, well, I know, and she was trying to say, well, I know, I've seen it, like, I've seen a lot of it, and I was like, and you think that your son, who's gay, hasn't?
0: Yeah, it's like hasn't she's in seen, the bushes,
1: hasn't seen, like, Has not seen way more than you will ever know about the subject?
0: Because clearly you're
1: not open to discussing one, this, that. so they had to go outside,
0: they had to go look up on the internet. Right, right,
1: and look you get that throughout the, throughout the Laramie Project, is just these, you know, pastors or, or the religious people saying, well, you know, what they did, we don't condone what those boys did to Matthew we don't it is wrong it is terrible but but he was gay so take that as you will like they don't say he was gay so it's okay that they did it but they're like but he was gay and then they just That's leave it open like so we we just kind of don't just gloss over it a little bit, you know. No I mean?
0: comment from the church, right? But and then right. it it takes both sides of you know every argument, even within the religious argument, even within the Catholic religious argument. It has the bishop going against, well, the priest going against the bishop rather, and saying, right. "Oh well, we called the bishop to check, and he said no, so we said mm, we're doing it anyway."
1: Right. He said. He said. He said. I know that this is right. He said. This is correct. I know that this is the right thing to do. And whether or not the bishop says yes or no to us being able to do this does not change that this is the right thing to do. Therefore, we are going to do it, and that is admirable. I think that is it's very brave. admirable, and bra- and brave. You are very right as a leader of the church or anyone um, in that town. That is a brave thing to do.
0: Well, this was a great discussion, and I hope it prompted more people to go read the Laramie Project and think more deeply about some of these topics and how they affect us in our lives as theater people and as allies and members of the queer community so uh, yes our next segment is going to be just going back to our advice column i want to say even though henry and i aren't uh you know professional high school theater makers the point is that we've done it and we are here to share what we've learned so that you don't have to learn by making as many mistakes you can go in a little Uh, more informed and without watching as many YouTube videos as we did (laughs) about what dance shoes to buy.
1: (laughs) You know, we've both had lots of directors. We've had lots of stage experiences, you know, like, well, I'm not the most necessarily theater, theater knowledgeable person around. I have been in around 15 full productions in the last four years. And, um, and that is a lot, it's a, I would say it's a pretty fair amount of experience to draw from when saying, I've made dumb mistakes. So don't make these dumb mistakes. And there are some things that really blew my mind that, that change a lot. You know, we've both dealt with a lot of different kinds of people, um,
0: Absolutely. with
1: a lot of different kinds of, um, strengths and weaknesses and, and how to interact with new people when put into each different cast family. So.
0: Yes. Cause they're all, it's not, you know, a lot of people outside of the theater community like to paint everyone with that theater kid brush of, like, they're all right. loud, and they're all queer, and they're all outcasts, and that, you know, everyone has the exact same personality, and that definitely doesn't happen, and you're also not gonna just work with actors in rehearsal. There'll be directors and stage managers, and lots of that, so. And you
1: have, and if you're in a musical, you have musicians, of uh, all different kinds. You have the music directors, you have the pianists, um,
0: you might have a pit orchestra. All, My high school always did right? a pit orchestra. It was all students. So that's and they bring in dynamic. a dynamic.
1: Con- like, we've had one show here at High Point University where they bring in a conductor from elsewhere and how to work with somebody who is accustomed to working with professional opera singers to come to working with you and what to expect and how to behave. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You got to raise your standards and, uh, it, of professional, professionalism and how to talk and interact with people so that you're ready to meet anyone. Anyone could be anyone or anyone could become anyone. So you want to treat everyone as if they are already a professional and also a human being with feelings. So starting yes. off with tip number one, don't give other actors notes. Ah, so simple yet so hard to follow.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and it's hard. It is hard. I have, I was in a show once. This is where I f- failed to do this. Ooh. Um, I was in a show, I was in a Shakespeare show. And I am very particular about Shakespeare and his language. I've done Shakespeare quite a few times. Uh, and there's that one word, W-A-S-T, wust. I wust want to do something, right? Yes. Well, this one kid kept saying, <laughs> I... Wast won't. (laughs) Wast won't. Wast won't to do
0: something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not wust want, but wast won't. And finally, I pulled him aside and I said, look, please, just for the sake of this show, quit saying wast won't. It is pronounced wast want. And he looked at me and said, oh, "Oh, okay, well, Thanks and continued to do it incorrectly every night. And all it did was make me look like a know-it-all. It all That's probably happen.
0: like a really good case scenario though.
1: Yeah, and like so- Like you didn't go when, tell the
0: director, like tell everyone in right, the cast.
1: Right, and so I went, I mean, I went directly to him and I said, this is something that, when you have a problem with someone, I uh, actually, the same person in a different show I was in, um, I was supposed to be singing harmonies with, and they couldn't, they kept, um, making mistakes, and I was afraid they weren't rehearsing. But then I realized by this time I had learned I don't—it's not my job to go up and tell him these things. So I approached my music director, and I said to him, "Excuse me, is there anything I can do to help with this situation? Because there are some people who seem to be struggling more, and I don't know what to do. But I'd like to help because it makes me nervous about our end production." So then you come across as very professional. You give it to the person and then they, they, chances are they already know what you're talking about and what's going on. And at that point, it's brought again to their attention that they need to focus down on one or two people in one or two parts a little bit more closely in this time when they can um, to try and iron out some issues. And that way, when the student, other student is approached, it all comes from a director and in a respectful way, and in a way that makes them feel comfortable, safe, and um, not judged. Because that, in the the end, is the most important. You don't want to make people around you feel like you're judging them for something that they are doing correctly or incorrectly, because then they will look at you with judgment, and it creates a very negative atmosphere.
0: The caste balance is so important. You have to, you have to support each other. You're all there together, and if one person is off their game, forgets their lines, or has become self-conscious about something because another actor made a note about it, and you think they're gonna judge you, and then you have a seething resentment towards them, that comes across on stage. And the theatrical hierarchy, as much as we rail against oh, hierarchies and people above other people, it really does only really help um, if you go through the director and the director comes to the next person. There's a chain of command the theater has built itself around that makes interpersonal connections much much easier and also right. too i used to do this a lot in high school i must have been so annoyed <laughs> but in a musical with you know 150 kids uh, we didn't cut anyone from the ensemble i was in ensemble every year and i would have probably one or two a year just like things that really annoyed me someone was not getting into the cluster Uh, when we're supposed to all clump or something or someone was not returning their mic pack at this designated number when they had another number all the way in the second act so they don't need their mic right now you know that kind of thing and I'd bring it up to my director and I'd be like hey this is really bothering me and from a directorial standpoint stepping back seeing the whole show they didn't notice at all it wasn't visible they didn't care. And that's not to say that your part and your contribution to the show as an ensemble member is not important. Of course it's important. But the director's whole job is to see what things are like from the audience and from an outsider's perspective. And you have to trust them. Otherwise, there's not going to be a successful show if you don't trust each other. And it's Absolutely. mutual respect back and forth. But a lot a lot of theater is cardboard, and it looks great from afar, and it doesn't look great up close. And when you're in it and up close, every little thing bothers you.
1: Right. Uh, and also, you know, if you're approached by your director and they say, hey, this thing that you're doing, or you need to work more on this, or this, how about we change this a little bit, or you know what, this should be pronounced like this, or I, I need you to do this for me. You go, oh, y- yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, you, director you you know you want to make them happy you want them to feel good about and you feel good about where you are it doesn't upset you as much when the director says something but if your peers tell you it creates judgment feelings self-consciousness all this different stuff and so being able to if it is important enough to bring up to the director's point of view you bring it up to the director privately and then let them take care of it because they can make your peers, they can talk to your peers and tell your peers things in a way that makes them grow in their confidence and their abilities as actors and actresses that if you do, it won't have a positive result. So it is very important to keep that going. And, you know, when you do have a problem with somebody, and I'm guilty of this, don't go tell all your friends about how frustrating and how terrible this person is. It's hard. There is always going to be somebody in a cast family, just like real family, that you do not like. (laughs) That is okay. You don't have to like everybody, but you do have to respect everyone.
0: That's very true.
1: You do have to respect everyone. Because that that is what will make your show the greatest quality show you can have and help everyone become
0: better. Absolutely. And that's another point I wanted to get to in this conversation today was... Yes, you're a cast family, and it comes across on stage if you like each other, and that's a good thing. That's something you want the audience to see is the connections of your characters, and you can trust each other, and the show is overall better, but another way you can trust people is by being professional, because I have some people I love dearly, but I don't know if I trust them with certain things. You want to be responsible and show yourself as trustworthy. You wanna be professional when you come in those doors. There's a, an acting technique, a um, Michael Chekhov thing of crossing the threshold into an acting space. And that's more of a switch into this artistic mind, but I'm gonna appropriate it into a professional mind. You are friends with some of these people outside of your rehearsals, your enemies with some of these people striving for the same roles, which we may get to talk about because that's definitely not a healthy mentality. <laughs> But then you come into this rehearsal space and you are co workers, theatrical co workers making something brilliant, a piece of art, but you respect each other and you let each other be on the same level.
1: Right. I can't tell you how many times I had people who were cast in great roles, but because it wasn't the role they wanted or because this other girl got this lead role that they disagreed with, they left the show. And how many times? have you guys seen a show that was made special that your favorite characters were not the main characters answer almost every single one where the ensemble was like just so amazing that the, your favorite parts had nothing to do with the main character
0: i feel like that happens a lot more in live theater too you really get attached to i mean bottom in midsummer he's the lead in exactly opinion.
1: He's Exactly, exactly. But technically not at the same time. You know what I mean? So you get these, you get these people, your role, no matter what you are given, do not, do not feel less than in any kind of way because if you, it's the people even on Broadway, you see Broadway, it's the people who get those roles, embrace them, make them their own, and give it their all that all of a sudden make the entire show worthwhile. I've gone to shows and I said, I mean, the main character was all right, but did you see the baker that appeared every two scenes, only had a few lines, but he was hysterical and he was so much better of an actor, you know, or these things, you know, when you take the opportunity to fill that role, you will be remembered, uh, no matter how big your role is.
0: And that's something... That people say, there's no small roles, just small actors. And there really are. There's just people with bad attitudes and people with good attitudes. And you might not like your role, but you'll grow to like it. That's part of the rehearsal process. It's an artistic vision. And someone deemed you worthy of this role that you do have. Characters are different. There isn't, especially in more modern writing, there isn't one like, lead character is the best actress. Quote, quote, quote. And oh, right. if I wasn't the lead, they must not like me. Uh, lead characters are all that's, different. Side characters are all different. I've
1: that's never a very played a lead good. Character. That is a very good point. You see, i I have a very um, stereotypical, protagonistic male look about He's me. He's a, a very right?
0: attractive young man.
1: Oh, shut up! But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thank you. But. Um, and so for me to get cast as a lead is, you know, a fortunate likelihood if I'm in a small pond, right? But I have been on stage in almost every show and known for a fact that I am not the most talented person on that stage by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the most fascinating part is I... You have people who are scary talented, like our dear Emmy here, who has an extreme knack for what we call the humor. The humor. (laughs) She She can comedy like nobody's business.
0: Well, thank you.
1: Huge comedy roles main lead, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, everybody. Lead characters audio are, not, are not written often as comedy characters. Yeah,
0: and if they are, they're male. You know, scapa,
1: yeah, they're, skip, just, they're just not. Yet who do you remember when you go see the show the most? It's the comedy characters. It's the people who make you laugh, who make you smile, who make you watch very intently. So but you that's don't zone not to out when on stage.
0: If you're cast in a lead, you're not as good an actor, therefore. We're not saying either way.
1: There are benefits
0: that. to every single role. I was Mrs. Like, Pugh, it, the baker, and it was so in in Annie, so fun to just go up there and boost up other actors. Find the joy in making a better show together. If you boost everyone right. up and then they get joy in boosting you up the show is good. That's a big rule of improv is support everyone else. And then you're on an elevated plane.
1: Exactly. And I'm sure some of you have seen Broadway shows, right? You go to a Broadway show, you think that the people in the ensemble are also scary talented. I guarantee you, you could pick one of them and replace one of the main actors with them. And they would do a really good job.
0: Yeah. I mean, swings do that all the time.
1: Yeah. But the idea is that the director said when they saw this person, whether it's look or voice or something about them, spoke to the director and said, because of this individual, not necessarily that their talent is more than yours or another, but this individual spoke to me as the Phantom in Phantom of the Opera. It just, it just fit.
0: It's an artistic choice. It's not a personal It is attack. Exactly.
1: It, it, is not, it is not something against you or your abilities, but it is a choice that the director seems to think fits best. And putting you in a different role or even ensemble or, or, or anything like that, again, ensembles make shows. They always do. You don't have a good ensemble, you know, unless the show's written to have no ensemble, you know, you're not going to have a good show. T- uh, I mean, you were a-
0: just in Bright Star. And if every transition was an ensemble singing, if they didn't have any energy, I, I, you would just most- die. To resurrect. That, was, that,
1: was a sh- that was a show where the ensemble basically told the whole story. Um, and, and even like the main characters, the actual characters were almost just like little pieces and little scenes where the ensemble was actually weaving the entire story. The ensemble was constantly on stage for the entirety of the show and constantly singing everyone's songs through the whole piece and, and, and they wove the story.
0: And you, it's and you're like, like, yeah, like well, a stage manager. I, it's an unsung hero. No one's going right. to say, oh, you and you know what? My favorite actor was that member of the ensemble. Unless it's someone who personally is, you know, connected to that person. Usually it doesn't happen because they build up the rest of the group. That's the magic of theater.
1: Yeah. And they may say, I loved the ensemble. And I know that's what hurts a lot of people to say, "Oh, but I can't get my name out there. I don't have a named role. I don't have, but that's where we need to change a mentality and how we look at theater. Are we doing it for self applause? Are we doing it so that we, as individuals, are praised? Or are you doing theater so that someone walks out and goes, I had never thought of that, and I don't think I will ever be able to look at this the same again in my entire life. I will never forget this.
0: I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Because
1: that is why you should do theater. That is why I sing. I sing because when I hear music in some place and it makes me want to cry, it gives me that feeling of, of, of some, to, to be able to create such an emotional journey for somebody, to play a character that they get attached to or to support a character that they get attached to or to change their opinion, to change their mind, or even to just make them smile a genuine smile to give them a break from their normal reality.
0: Not for the that. fact of them smiling at you, you feeling fun for them, their own personal growth.
1: Yeah, so that if they have no idea who you are and they just walk up to you and say, you know, I saw this show, one that you were in, I just saw the show and I tell you what, I, I left and I've been telling everybody about it since. I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it, you know? I cried so many times, but also, it it really resonated with me. It, you know, that lady in the show who lost her child. I lost my child, and I but hadn't every been able to. Night I hadn't Shane's been
0: reconcile.
1: Right, I hadn't been able to reconcile it because of these reasons. And this show provided for me a mentality that gave me closure. And you never tell them that you were in that show, but you have that feeling of, I contributed to that. I contributed largely to that as an ensemble member. I gave them hope in their life. And you go, "Uh, okay, well duh, of course I wanna do theater for the rest of my life. Are you kidding me?
0: Who wants to do finance when you can change lives? A lot of exactly. My, th- those are great points, Henry. I mean, of even course even, you want to change the world. That's why we're in this. We're not in it for the right. fame and glory. COVID knocked out half the theaters. We are trying so hard to produce things for no money.
1: With no money. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a music major. You think I'm going to get out of school and start making the big bucks? No, I'm going to be dirt Jazz poor. Man. Thank you. But, as one of my teachers always says... Music has the power to change and transform lives. That is why we sing. That is why we are artists in general. All, all, all kinds of artists. There is a reason. And it is to change the world around us uh, for the better. By sharing something personal, something powerful.
0: Yeah, so. it doesn't have to be a soapbox statement of this is what you should believe. That's a sermon. Right. Not not a play. Um, and... To kind of wrap up the episode, because we are getting to the end of our time, and I'm so thankful for Henry for being on here with us today, one more note about respect. So we're saying that you have to respect your fellow castmates. You have to respect everyone who was cast and everyone in the room, regardless of their role in making this group ensemble effort to putting on a play. But you can also stick up for yourself if someone's coming at you if another actor gives you notes you can simply say please don't give other actors notes it's just something that i believe for our cast uh to get along better but let's just move on if you have a problem with something please bring it up to the director and if the director you think is not treating you well um it i've had experiences like this where the director is not treating the cast with the same level of respect for their time and humanity and emotional vulnerability that the cast was treating the director with and that's a conversation you have every right to have. You can stand up for yourself uh preferably in you know more personal setting but of course if it pertains to everyone you can say it in front of everyone. But be your own advocate because this is a, a strange territory of it's scholastic, it's academic, it's in school, you're there to learn but you're also all working very hard to be professional and to put on something that you're proud of outside of the institution of a school.
1: Exactly. Um, and now there is there is times where, like you say, giving peers notes. If Emmy were to walk up to me and say, "Hey, Henry, <laughs> I just had this idea. If you'd be willing to try it,"
0: yes, ideas are great. Upset.
1: Right. I would not be upset in the slightest if Emmy were to walk up and said, "You have this scene." I think this would be really cool if you're interested, if you would like to try it. I think it could be really cool.
0: But Henry and I are why, friends. We know each other ahead of okay. time.
1: Yeah, here's why that's okay. Emmy and I are very, very close. One. B, notice how I said she said it. Hey, if you're interested, I had this idea that I think you might love if you'd be willing to try it. Not, hey, you're doing this weirdly or you're doing this incorrectly, like I said to that one guy, which was very not appropriate for me to do and that one show that uh excuse me you are saying this wrong and while yes I was correct it didn't make it better I said you're doing this wrong here's how to do it correctly there is always a way to go about something but particularly if you don't know the person or you're not close with them absolutely do not mention anything to them that is the director's job um but in the case of like Emmy you know that doesn't mean that I wouldn't want her feedback in fact I would probably ask her for her feedback um
0: and I ask you for yours
1: and yeah, that's a different, a different, you know, kind of vein there. But.
0: And that's a, that's a deep personal connection too. But even so, Henry just shared with you, he was vulnerable and shared a moment when he messed up. And he's still in the theater and people still like him and people still love him. And uh, people can change, people can grow and know that not everyone knows everything about theater and how to carry themselves going right into it. So kindly and politely setting boundaries about things, and then also accepting and forgiving and allowing people to grow, is a really big key to all educational theater. So, something to look forward to is next week we'll be reading Sweat. Uh, It's a fantastic play, really gritty, and uh, very good, so if you have a local library that has Sweat, pick it up so you can be part of a discussion. Thank you so much, Henry, for being our guest Absolutely. today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. This was a very cool experience.
0: This is really fun. We'll definitely have you on again because I just love hanging out with you. And I well, hope you I all have a it. great week. Keep pursuing, keep performing, pencils down. Thanks, everybody. You're listening to The Theater Student Podcast with Emmy D'Amico.